good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watched Tonight and joining me to take a big dinosaur sized bite out of tonight's film is my man from across the pond. It's John Burke from Burke Reviews. How are you, sir? I did not think you were going to say bite. I was not sure <laughs> what you were about to say, but it was a big pile of something and I am doing okay. Um you know, uh, I'm a little, I'm a little down because I am a really big Jurassic Park fan. Mm-hmm. I, I love Jurassic Park. I think it is near perfect. Um, it's one of my favorite Spielberg movies, just barely below Jaws. Oh. And for this movie to do what it did to me, I feel angry and, and hostile. And I blame Colin Trevorrow, even though. We will talk about, uh, I, I will we'll hint at and talk about in spoilers an interpretation that I think is very valid, yes. but I'm still very not okay with it being done to this movie. So, you know, and I do think it's a silly franchise, but it's it's been a fun, silly franchise until the fifth movie and now the sixth movie. So, although some people had fun with it, I did not. It's early. We're, we jumped into the review. I didn't mean to, but I'm so err about Jurassic World. Like, I don't think I've been this personally upset about a movie in a while where this isn't just like, oh, it was a bad movie. Like, I feel like, what have you done to a movie that I wanted to be good? That's the, like, I took it personal. Well, I hear that, my man. And it is also early in terms of recording. So uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, just gone lunchtime for me, just well, a couple of hours. And for JB, it's the, as far as I'm concerned, it's the crack of dawn. So um, we're, we basically thought if we spend all day on our recording day ruminating about this film, we might explode with rage. So we thought, let's just do it early so we're a bit more um, level-headed. But I'm not so sure we are going to be because I'm not a million miles off uh, John Burke's uh, thoughts on this film, if not level. If you weren't sure, tonight or this afternoon, this morning, we're talking about Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, no spoilers in this episode. If you haven't seen Jurassic World Dominion, you're, this is a safe space for you to listen to our thoughts. You may not want to see it once you've heard them, but if you want to hear us talk in more spoilerific terms, uh, check back in on Monday and we'll be uh, diving into all of the things that we liked about the film. So let's get into it then. Like John said, it's directed by Colin Trevorrow. Uh, I, I read somewhere that he said it, it rhymes with tomorrow. So Trevorrow, I guess it is. So Colin Trevorrow. He also wrote it alongside Emily Carmichael and Derek Connolly. And it stars Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, Dewanda Wise, Mamadou Athi, Isabella Sermon and Campbell Scott. Uh, Again, no spoilers, but the IMDB synopsis reads, Four years after the destruction of Isla Nublar, dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most fearsome creatures in a new era. Wow, that synopsis makes it sound like we're going to get this big kind of action-packed dramatic movie. What did it, how is it doing critically and with the fans? Well, John, the final part of the Jurassic Saga currently sits at 30% on Rotten Tomatoes with a critic score. 37 on Metascore, 6 out of 10 IMDb user score, and 2.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So 
Okay. It, it seems that a uh, lots of people who've seen this film didn't like it. I might all weren't as keen on it. I must also stress for balance on Rotten Tomatoes. It does have a 79% uh, audience score as well. So let's, let's just get into it because I think the, by the tone of John's um, fury uh, that we kind of know where we sit on this. I, I really like, obviously how can you not like Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park from 93 is one of cinema's greatest achievements. I think it still holds up uh, ridiculously well to this day. The, and the sequels that followed vary in quality, but I think like John said, they ret- they sort of still retain this, there's a charm and a wonder to them. Even Jurassic World, which starts to become this, you know, the, a franchise film, like the tentpole IP blockbuster film. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, whilst I didn't hate that film, um, having now seen Dominion and where it led the franchise, I'm starting to think I probably should do because the, the, remember what Ian Malcolm said about the dino droppings in Jurassic Park? That's a big pile of, you know what? That is Jurassic World dominion and like john it i i put these in my these words in my review it pains me to say it but this film is awful and i really really wanted to like this film for a varying amount of reasons firstly i like jurassic park i don't dislike the franchise the old guard are back as you heard in the the cast and credits it's the final apparently final film in the jurassic era is a lot of nostalgia attached to it as a kid i loved dinosaurs i wanted to be a paleontologist i wanted them to nail this landing but i don't really think a lot of this works and again again we're not going into spoilers here but the film carries on the clone kid angle from fallen kingdom except now bios in the very evil corporation have bioengineered these new threats which are well well they're not dinosaurs and they're very lackluster in their execution and, and what they aim to do with this new bioengineered threat is just eye rollingly bad. Um, the clone kid, Maisie, I hated, um, I kind of, I, I was hoping the whole time she'd get eaten, uh, and, we, and we'd see it nothing to do with the act. Well, maybe it was, it was the performance just, just doesn't, just didn't work for me. And I wasn't rooting for this character as much as I really couldn't care less about, Chris Pratt's Owen Grady and just sticking his hand up the whole film. The one I think Bryce Dallas Howard, she she you know she tries. I think she actually has the, one of the best sequences in this film. But the best sequences, John, they're all in the trailers. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, the, the shot of Claire in the swamp with a dinosaur sort of stalking her. Yeah. The shot of two big dinos in Valletta in Malta just fighting in the in the streets in the open uh, city center. That's great. But they are isolated moments within the film and there's a few threads which are running concurrently with each other which don't really you know work or in it together and when they all merge towards the end it just feels very very forced um it's very coincidental it's very oh god it's very coincidental as well but to be to be positive uh, which uh, which we try to be balanced on this show it will never be a bad thing to have the original trilogy sorry the original three coming back in Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Cobb. That's never not going to be a good thing, however well they're utilised or not. That's always going to be a, a wonderful thing, possibly for the last time we'll ever see them on the big screen. With that, we get some of the blasts of the classic Jurassic Park theme, which just makes me think of a better film. And when we're in Malta and Valletta, I spent a lot of the time kind of looking at 
because I've been there. I was like, oh, I've been there. I walked through there. I stood there. And that was a lot more fun than watching the CGI dinosaurs rampage through the streets. John, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a lack of wonder. I know so many people have said this, but I'm, I, 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 so now I've seen the film, I get it. There's a lack of wonder, a lack of charm, a lack of magic, a lack of spectacle. This is just stale. It's hollow. And it, I, I get no joy out of saying this. I wanted to be the contrarian. I said to John off air last week, I want to see this film and I want to love it. I want to be that guy who's just, this is great, but I wasn't a fan of the new characters. I thought Kayla played by DeWanda Wise. I did not like her character. I thought it was so one dimensional. Um, um, Dodgson, you know, the guy from the first film, Dodgson, we got Dodgson here. Campbell Scott. I mean, I, yeah, I, I just didn't buy the guy as a villain. They went, they went for a different kind of take on the villainous, um, approach or, or at least the kind of head of an evil corporation approach, but it just didn't work. At no point was I scared. At no point was I in fear. At no point did I think, oh, maybe, maybe the bad guys have got a point. It, John, it, the, the whole thing was a mess. I think they focused on the entirely wrong things. I don't think they knew yeah. how to uh, wrap this franchise up. And it, it is so very sad that, you know, they've, they've saved possible, well, they've definitely saved the worst till last. I hope I never see another instalment with these characters again in terms of certainly the new ones. And that's no slight on Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard at all. But I just don't buy into it, John. It's, it's gone. So uh, I could go on for a long time, but I know John has got a lot of positives to counterbalance what I've just said there. So the floor is yours, John. <laughs> I, I do. Have, I, I like Kayla. Um, I actually heard, I believe, uh, the NPR Pop Culture Happy Hour um, who I was literally yelling to myself because I had headphones <laughs> in. So people must've thought I was crazy, but I was walking uh, in my neighborhood Never. the other day, listening to that podcast review of Jurassic world dominion. And I disagreed with like three of the, f- I think there were five people reviewing three, one of them, especially I was like really mad at everything she said. I could not believe her take was so contrarian. Like she was the version that you wanted to be where she was <laughs> yeah. like, I liked all of this, but someone did compare Kayla's character to a Han Solo type character. And I think that's a fitting description, especially, I mean, she is a smuggler to just, you know, really knock it home. But that statement is important to, I think the big issue this movie really has. If, if you're not familiar with Trevorrow or yeah, Trevorrow's work and his career trajectory, that is vital to understanding why this movie is what it is. Yep. He, he was going to be the next big thing. Jurassic world comes in. It does really, really well. I like Jurassic world. Does it have problems? Yes. In fact, one of the biggest griping points people had was that she wore high heels when running away from the T-Rex, <laughs> something this movie really wants to slam home because they cut to her feet multiple times uh. to make sure you see, she's not wearing heels this time around. And, I think the biggest thing is he gets to do his blank check type movie, which is um, the book of Henry, which is a travesty of a story. Like it is so badly constructed. So just weird. I didn't mind the book of Henry and I've said it on the BAMP many times. I didn't actually dislike it. I kind of like the, the quirkiness and the off kilter structure. However, having seen this, I now think that maybe it wasn't deliberate whether you like it or not doesn't deny what happens because of it. It does so bad. And Disney loses so much faith in Trevorrow. They pull him off of rise of Skywalker, which would not have been called rise of Skywalker. Yeah. We would have got a very different third star Wars film. Jewel of now, the Fates. 
I, I am speculating because I don't know how accurate I am if the book of Henry was 100% the reason he lost Star Wars, but that is what I have heard and what I understand. So there could be a lot more at stake there. Obviously, Disney was nervous after Last Jedi anyways, um, so that's probably part of why he was pulled. But nevertheless, he's pulled off of this big, gigantic movie that is supposed to continue his you know career trajectory. When he loses that, comes back to this move, this franchise, the franchise that gave him his start. And this movie feels like he has sabotaged a blockbuster. Like he went in with an attitude of destruction ready to go. And the synopsis that we read, I think, <laughs> is proof of that because that is not the movie. That is the opening title credits where we get a fake news report about all the dinosaurs in the world. We have a couple of scenes of dinosaurs out in the world, but for the most part, no. This movie is determined to put us back into a park. That is the driving force. We end up in this valley where all the dinosaurs have amassed so that we get maybe 20 minutes of old school Jurassic Park or Jurassic World where you are trapped with the dinosaurs. Yeah. They fabricate something because he's not interested in the the way the franchise has set this up. He does take particular interest in the clone, though, and that is something we have to save for spoilers to get into all of the logistics, but... This movie samples from Hollywood past. There is a scene uh, in Malta that is essentially James Bond. Yep. We don't know why. We're actually told that they're not supposed to get involved, but the second stuff goes down, no one in the CIA no seems to have any issue with them getting involved. In fact, they seem to let them take over. Makes no sense. It is very Bond-esque. It literally has a Bond villain. Like That girl could be in the next Bond movie, and I would not be surprised. It's It's arguably the most action-packed although none of it makes sense there is dino fighting like dog fighting like it is ridiculously bad like it's goofy bad but in that sequence uh the guy from the first movie that was his training partner whose name i do not remember um is working for the cia now or whatever something like that he's an agent of some kind um there's a sequence he ends up in a boat. It is essentially Jaws. Like, it is 100% referencing Jaws. I, I, No one can tell me otherwise. There's a scene where a raptor's head breaks through a door, a la The Shining. There mm-hmm. is um, <laughs> so many direct references to Hollywood big blockbuster films. And there's something that you... Oh, well, Han Solo. The Han Solo character is a direct pull from that character. He's literally... She's a smuggler. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even trying to disguise it. I think she's even wearing a suit that kind of has an Indiana Jones vibe to it. You know? Yes, definitely. That is intentional, I believe, because Trevorrow is making a point about the industry and the lack of originality. We can get into that more in spoilers, but I think while he might be saying something and, and some people might even appreciate that Trevorrow is essentially flicking the bird to both Hollywood and to any fans of franchises, including us, which is why I think I take this so personal because I do love Jurassic Park and I, I, I like Jurassic World a lot. I didn't like Fallen Kingdom that much. I don't remember hating it as much as a lot of people seem to. I Maybe it. I should go back. Um, I have only seen it once to be fair. Uh, but I hated this movie and I hated it on a personal level because it did feel like Trevorrow was flicking the bird at the fans and all of the nostalgia stuff, something I am a sucker for. We proved that Matt and I, we ate up Ghostbusters afterlife. We loved that movie. We loved every little nostalgic reference, everything that made zero sense. Even this movie has the original cast in the exact same outfits 
that they were in in 1990. Literally. <laughs> like that the the level of of mocking of nostalgia is ridiculous. And that's like people are still eating it up. I'm like, "Do you not see that he's making fun of us for liking it?" Like it felt like an attack. And I you know what? Partly maybe I'm a little ashamed how easy nostalgia can work for me. But this time it felt not even like a cash grab. This didn't feel like it was there for that, although it was, but it felt like Trevorrow was like making fun of the people who fall for it. And I'm like, okay, ouch. Um, you don't have to like, hit so hard. And it's not, I, I don't, I'm not, tr- I feel like I might be giving him a little too much credit, but it's so bad. That's the only way I can rationalize it being this bad is that it's intentionally bad. That it is actively trying to make a point about the industry, a guy who feels maybe this is his last movie. Maybe he'll never get another chance to make a story that especially maybe he'll never get a chance to tell an original story. So he takes a dinosaur movie and makes it about locusts and clones, but then implants references to some of Hollywood's biggest franchises in a final movie of a franchise in theory. I mean, obviously who knows if this is truly the final or not, but it's set up to be at least the final of the Jurassic world trilogy. Mm -hmm. And he flicks the bird to everybody. Some, some are eating it up. Some like it. I took it personally. It felt like that. And, um, the, the reference to ghostbusters afterlife Let's, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that now. Even the way that the guys were handled in that, when the OG come back, it, it mm-hmm. feels as natural as they could have made it. There's a reason for them to be there. Um, uh, it, whereas here, it feels like love, to be honest. Too, well, like well, it's love letter. It's Reitman's. It's obviously paying a tribute to what his father had done previously, um, but also to those characters, beloved characters. Here, I mean, like you say. The first time you, we we see Ellie Sattler, she's literally wearing the same outfit. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of like, guys, I I know who this is. And the, the only the only difference we get in the OG, two differences, is Sam Neill has a bit more facial hair, and Jeff Goldblum hasn't got the mullet. That's literally it. I'm surprised they didn't make him grow it back again. But I think the film has that there are ideas in this film which had they actually ran with those, then they, I think we could have had a better film. I, you know, like the the dino fighting in the underworld of Malta, you know, that's that, that in itself is an idea where in, in, in a world, so, which is so cynical as ours, something as wondrous as dinosaurs can just be bought and sold on the black market and fought for money. You know, there's an idea there. Obviously the idea of dinosaur coexisting with dinosaurs, that is a huge idea. And we see that in, well, news flashes is pretty much how we, uh, how we see that story play out. Like, which is really, 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 I'm sure they thought it was a clever framing device, but I thought it was not. It was awful. Um, so there are flashes of good ideas here. Yeah, but where they took the franchise in such a bonkers and bizarre way at the end of Fallen Kingdom, because I believe I had it when I, back then when I reviewed it, the bit at the end never sat right with me because it just kind of came out of nowhere. I said the cult cloning humans. I mean, people might say it's a it's the next step in evolution. They can bring back dinosaurs. Can they? Co- Fine. Okay, but to make it the pretty much the crux of this film, and the film becomes more about you know, following the 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 clone Maisie in. I'm trying not to give spoilers away now through escapades, then it, and and just having to just ha- having to dodge dinosaurs because they have the misfortune of just being there rather than mm-hmm. anything else. And 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 what 
certainly Grant and Sattler are, are kind of tasked with doing is it almost feel like I'm, I'm on board with your, um, with your theory there, but it, and it also it almost just feels like slapping the face of those characters. You know, we mm-hmm. Grant was pulled off a, off a dig like he was in the first film. Um, and, and what they, what they have them do wearing these suits and just flopping about on the floor is like, what's going on here? I don't need every, every throwback film to treat the original films or, or original cast with kind of godlike reverence or anything like that. But if you're going to bring them back, make it worthwhile. And it's clear, like you say, the guys were brought back for that nostalgia cash grab. And I, 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 I disagree on your point where you say you almost feel ashamed of how much nostalgia can bait you. That's what it's there for. It's there, yeah. for, you know, we, we grew up with this. I'm sure um, Trevorrow did as well when everybody and lots of other people, you want to, if, if you get a chance to play in that sandbox, you want to do it. And if you can make a lot of people happy and also at the same time, bring a few dollars in because you're going to get people to see it. That's great. But it all comes down to how well you do it. Some yeah. films do it well. Others don't. And I'm looking also at my beloved Star Wars franchise. It doesn't always mm. do that very well. And it, and it can clang when that happens. Ghostbusters, and we think, got it right. But you've got to have a purpose, man. A lot of one of the things that I felt, too, with this movie is that all of the scenes of dinosaurs felt like a room full of people going, what would be cool to happen? How about a car chase? How about this thing? How yeah. about that? And they don't really make sense in like, like the ice dinosaur sequence makes like zero sense <laughs> why is it there why is it there like it's it doesn't make any sense that it's there the bit like, before that i think is decent again no spoilers but they they um utilize this kind of uh, i think it's called like an air defense thing where yeah they can't dinosaurs can't fly above a certain radius because it obviously emits something or shocks them i think that's quite a good idea i mean it, how do you contain a flying dinosaur well here's how Okay, that's creative. So there are ideas littered through here, but yeah. they're just the, the stories that they go with are so inferior and so I'm going to say against the spirit of what this franchise is and was. I mean, should this should this first film even have had a sequel, Jurassic Park? Did it even need one? No, but here we are. It just Someone, feels so far removed. On the pop culture happy hour, also pointed out like with Bryce Dallas Howard's character Claire. Um, that she's like one of the most inconsistent because like one scene she's like a total badass and and can handle herself and the next scene she has like no idea what to do like she's never been in this situation many many times like the movie opens with her like on a a raid to like free baby dinosaurs and she seems like she's in charge it doesn't seem like like um owen even knows she's doing it almost you know and and all of that, they cram some of the characters from the past movie into this. Like Justice Smith does not need to be in this movie. That's not even. A, I like him. I defend him more often than other people. But like, he didn't need to be in this movie. They cram him in. They cram in so much crap that doesn't need to be in this for the sake of. Uh, it's not even nostalgia because no one was like, oh, you know who I miss? Justice Smith's character oh, from no. this, the movie that most people don't even remember. Like it, it's, I'm surprised Tia Leone wasn't in this uh, from Jurassic oh, Park. Jesus and William like, H Macy. Yeah, just cram them in there too. You know, they could be the ones funding the dig for Grant or something. You know, what I'm well, saying they, like, they even said like I've seen people say with the the Wonder Wise's character, have well, you know, why is that not Doctor Ian Malcolm's daughter that we met in Lost World? Why yeah. is that not a continuation of the character? Um, you know, well, I, she acts like she's been in the movies because she says stuff like, "This is like the last time." It's like, what last time? We yes. just met you. <laughs> 
It's just silly. I mean, so they, again, I'm not going to try and pretend that I could write a better film than any of these um, screenwriters or directors, but it, it, the, the, it just seems that if you're going to honor the franchise, and we're and here, and I'm fully aware that we're sitting here saying, "Oh, if you're, you're bringing characters back, blah blah." Having like having little changes, so like having Kayla be Ian Malcolm's daughter from the Lost World, it brings it, it makes everything feel that bit more cohesive. Um, Obviously, you'd have to rewrite the parts so it didn't feel so coincidental that she would happen to be the pilot. But I'm sure they could do that, and that's almost cl- crowd pleasing. The Lost World has a lot of fans, as has also a few detractors as well. But it's those little things which, if you're going to do nostalgia and things like that, maybe there's a way of doing it there rather than bringing in new characters. But I'm I, I imagine if they'd gone that way, they may have found a way to bungle that as well. But it's it's tough to talk about this film in such damning terms because it, it, like the rise of Skywalker, this was set up to be the finale, the end of the saga. And just imagine what it could have been. And, and, and like the final shot of this is, well, it actually feels a lot like the rise of Skywalker, the final shot of this in terms of how, you know, like the imagery of it. And, it, and we also make sure we get a shot of the, the T-Rex behind it, like a circular, uh, like a circle, so his head goes through, and it's like the Jurassic Park oh, logo. Oh, they don't miss a beat so with bad. a lot of these things, but uh, it, it's just disappointing, John. It's it's worse than disappointing, but without meaning like I'm desperate to just stick the final nail in, it's very disappointing because even though I'd heard uh, reports from people I trust, like yourself, that it wasn't great, I wanted to go in and enjoy it for what it is, not love and peace and war and peace sorry or citizen kane and i know and I'm, I'm against anybody who says well you can't expect it to be good it's a blockbuster about die i can because the first film shows that and other blockbusters there are so many blockbusters out there which are incredible films first and foremost and then become like i mean look at like mission impossible the last one Girl, such a good film even top gun maverick such a good film and they and they use their nostalgia wisely but they also bring in these new elements that they're going to do it but it feels like it's all part of the same um, film universe. I know there's only two films there, but I don't know, John. I don't know. I really, really wanted to like this film, and I think they've. Re- and I really think there was a f- quite a few other ways they could have made this a lot more successful. However, I guess I'm going to applaud them for sticking to their guns and following through with some of the storylines they set up in Fallen Kingdom, even if it may not be the one that most people wanted to see. Indeed. So, uh, have you got anything more to say on Jurassic World Dominion before we move on, J- JB? Not, not in the non-spoiler way, no. No, John Jurassic World. We will, we'll be back on Monday then, in terms of Dominion talk with our spoiler thoughts, so we can kind of go into a little bit more about what we're saying there without very loosely holding back like we try to. Then, so that's our thoughts on Jurassic World Dominion. If you agree with us, disagree with us, hate us, love us for our opinions, we'll give our social links at the end of the show where you can talk to us about Dominion. So usually we now we'd move on to our next segment, which will be chuffed headlines following by following media consumption as well. However, we're going to shake it up for the next few episodes because as we mentioned last week, John and myself, we were awarded accreditation to cover the currently ongoing Tribeca 2022 film festival which has taken place in new york not far from the hook and ladder firehouse in ghostbusters in fact um and we've been getting stuck into the films and documentaries on offer and want to spend the rest of the episode 
covering the covering what we see and we've been putting reviews out on our websites again we'll give the links later on but um let's talk about it then john i mean how many films have you managed to catch because we've been watching we've been watching them now for about three or four days i think pretty much um technically i am at uh i've watched nine through tribeca um and then technically i've watched the 10th film that i didn't know was at tribeca but i had seen a screener for that is also at tribeca so technically Mm -hmm. 10th uh, right. Well, where do you want to? So, what should, do you want to run down chronologically what we've seen, for like earliest to most recent? How, or do you want to do your best to worst, worst to best? How do you want to do it, John? Um, I, I don't have. I wouldn't. I mean, I have a worst just because I, you know, that's how it works out, right? But like least um, preferential, yeah. I am. I am organized uh, worst to best, so we could go that way. I could also go chronological. I'm. I'm kind of open. Ooh, well, actually, before that, actually, what's we might as well preface this by giving our thoughts so far. Uh, on the whole, how have you found the Tribeca experience? Because we've been critical about it in the past and also last week. How have you found the experience and also the the range of films and documentaries that you've been able to have access to and seen? Um, I still feel like we don't know what we're getting. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I missed... Like, last year we had a document that said these movies will release at this time and they will be on the platform for this amount of days. And so, like, you could really, like, you knew I had to watch this, like, immediately or it's going to be gone kind of thing, right? Like, I have no clue if we're going to have the movies that we currently have until the end of the festival or if they're just going to vanish off the platform at some point. Um, I don't know when they're coming. The way they're putting stuff on the platform is really weird because they had a available now section. But they haven't been putting the the stuff they keep adding to that section. They keep adding new sections. Like, they had one yesterday show up. I think it was Tuesday evening or something like that. Like it was literally like, I'm assuming today w- these movies will be available, but they hadn't done that previously. The ones that came out last night, which is uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. They just put under, uh, I think now available or recently added or something like they, it, I, I think the, the app itself works really well. And I love that we get to watch them like on a TV and not have yeah. to watch them like on a laptop. Um, but it, it's still like the the organization on the app is weird because like you can see a bunch of movies because I'm assuming we could buy some of the movies that we see on there that you can't watch yet. Like you could rent the ticket or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not tried that, but I, I still feel like they've really dropped the communication ball. Um, I think the app works great. I've had very minimal issues with the app. Uh, the first thing I encountered, though, um, that I thought was problematic was uh, Sunday night. I think it was Sunday night Four samosas and Sophia was added to the list mm-hmm. and it was in the list of movies that are available now until you went to watch it. <laughs> and what I didn't know because I, I don't have a document is that Four samosas is only available in the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. And, um, Sophia was only available in New York. I think itself, which last night changed. I was able to watch Sophia last night. So at some point they changed the, the rules for it or something, but um, there was no indication of that on the app. Like you, it looked like it was there. It was ready to play. You hit play. And then it told you error, not in the right region. And then I went on their, their website and saw the like only available here. I'm like, okay, cool. But Sophia opened up last night. So the, again, I saw no indication that that anything had changed or that when it was originally, it was only available in New York the first night and then it, it opened up 
I don't know. I still feel like they're dropping the ball there. I know it's a lot going on. They're managing the in-house festival and the online thing, which like last year they didn't have an in-person festival. I don't think. No. Um, so they only had to manage the online stuff. So maybe that's why we were treated better because there were everybody that was covering it was at home where now they're probably more focused on the people that are there, which is understandable. Um, I had a great time both years. I got to go to Tribeca in person Um, I, you know, I have not loved every movie I've seen there. They are a smaller festival in some ways. Um, and that's kind of the positive so far, everything I've watched this year, I have no major complaints. Like I I haven't hated anything. Um, I've loved a couple of things and I've liked pretty much everything that I've seen so far. Um, and I don't feel like that's festivalized. I, I like legitimately think, and I might be, maybe I'm being very selective with what I'm picking. Um, although there, the, the first couple of days, it was very slim pickings. Yeah. Um, I have avoided, there's, there's several things I have not watched that we have access to, but you know, I, you can't catch everything at a festival anyways. And so you get, you have to pick and choose. Um, so maybe the ones that I haven't watched are bad, or maybe I would have loved a couple of the ones I haven't watched yet. And I just haven't got there, but, um, I do, I do wish there was a little better communication with the at home press, especially if you're going to give us that access. Um, because I want to cover the movies that I can, but I'd like to know when I can do that, you know, so I can plan accordingly. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing for me as someone who's just hyper organized for the most time when it comes to stuff like this, then having a, uh, having a a Google sheet or a PDF to say on this date, these are the films dropping on this date. These are the films that will be available for you. It makes scheduling easier. And, and, And then I haven't got that kind of, festival fear of oh my god seven films have dropped today which ones do i want to watch which ones can i watch which one should i prioritize knowing in advance makes that a lot easier to know okay out of these seven there's two i really want to watch and if i get around to watching a few others perfect it feels a bit scattergun at the minute where every day you're just getting a no a load of new drops and you're mm-hmm. having to research and investigate what they're about uh, whether it's something you want to watch immediately now, because like John, there are some I really want to watch, others that I will do my very best to catch, and there are some which just generally don't interest me, like like certain films don't interest other people. I'm just like, no, I don't think I was going to enjoy that one. However, if I hear buzz around it or check out on a letterbox and see people are digging it, I'll then go back and check it out. But the organisation leaves a lot to be desired again. But I, I agree. I think the app is. I think the app and the interface is it's great you know i think it's a really really smooth app the portal to be able to watch them is excellent and the fact yeah that you can cast to your television or watch on your television sorry really really helps out rather than just having to kind of sit and watch on your laptop but um yeah listen i've i've managed to catch i think nine or ten so far doing a quick um head count there and for the most part yeah i'm, I'm enjoying what i'm seeing and there are there are certain there are certain films i'm having better experiences with than others but this is what i like about film festivals whether it's this one fantasia or any others you know you're going to watch maybe 20 films maybe even more if you've got the time you're not going to love them all that's the beauty of it it sounds odd to say but you're not going to enjoy them all but there are some which you're going to love a couple of years ago some of my favorite films came out of the fantastic fantasia film fest of which i never would have thought you know going into that uh, who knows? One of my, my one of my films of the year might come out of this one that we're talking about now, Tribeca. So, um, well, let's get into the 
movie chat then what do you want to kick off with first then john in your list well um if we're going uh are we going like best or like should i start with the worst and work my way up or start yeah i say so because john and i have watched we've watched most of the same not even by design again because you know we we have a list of things we want to watch but we've i think we've caught probably 75 percent of the same film so there'll be films that you talk about which i'll be able to jump on and and vice versa that and also some which i have no idea about and i maybe i'll be able to give you a recommendation or two as well i um so i'm going to start with the the thing i watched last night because i i this is the only one i don't really know where it falls for me yet i'm kind of working through what i thought about it but it's a documentary called sophia Yep. about the uh, AI. Um, and the reason I wanted to watch this is it's directed by, uh, co-directed by Crystal Moselle. If you're not familiar with her, um, the big documentary that kind of was her breakout was The Wolf Pack back in 2015. Documentary I've been watching and teaching for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really compelling, crazy story. She's very New York-based, and this is a very New York-based uh, festival, obviously, and that's, I think, why the initial release was only in New York. Um, John Kasabe or Kasabi, I'm not 100% how to say his name, uh, Caspi, um, is one of those, uh, is the co-director with her on this, but it was her name that was like, okay, well, I need to watch this, because she she's a really solid filmmaker. She also made a movie called Skate Kitchen, which is a fictional story, but using real New York uh, female skaters that then turned into a TV series that's not a one-for-one, like, connection, um, but it, it's very similarly grounded in like the skating culture of these girls. And it's a lot of the same actresses. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's Betty or something like that on HBO Max. Um, but I, I'm a general fan of hers and I wanted to see her new movie. Um, it's interesting. But it, it also, I don't fully know what the documentary's goal is. Like it's kind of profiling the guy who created Sophia, David Hansen. Um, but it's also kind of not like you see him and he's doing things and you see, you get a sense of his desperation, um, his fear that people are going to not trust this or like, there's some really like serious moments of like secondhand embarrassment where he's presenting and, and Sophia just does not want to work. And like, you saw it working in the documentary, like in the practice. And then now it's like on display and it's just like, Nope. And you see him like sweating. You like, you feel the anxiety he's going through. But at the end, I, I just still felt like I didn't really know what I was supposed to take away from the documentary. Like, Sophia is interesting. I'd heard about Sophia previously. I, you know, AI is a scary concept. We have a lot of sci-fi films about the whole idea. Oh, yes. But I, I don't feel like the movie is exploring that. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity. I don't know. It just felt like it's missing something. Like, this is a piece of a story that we didn't get the full picture of. Um it's still enjoyable. I think it's, it's competently made. I think there's some interesting moments, but at the end it, it, it didn't, I don't know what I was supposed to take away from it. Um, I just like scroll down and a few people who have seen it on letterbox have seemed to be kind of where I'm at. I, I I'm leaning towards it's like a mediocre movie, especially like I felt like there was so much to take away from the wolf pack and skate kitchen is the same thing. Like there's so much to like break down and take away here. It feels like, Maybe there is a part in this movie uh, where COVID happens um, as any movie that's being filmed in the 2020s is going to, you know, occur. And that might've severely altered the, the, the framework of the documentary. And they just were like, well, we got to do something with this. We, we filmed for this long. Um, 
and maybe that's why it doesn't feel like the the point was made but uh yeah it 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 just it's very like cinema verite you're kind of fly on the wall watching his world and uh there are some interviews and stuff that, that get into more of like a traditional expository style doc but it's it's fine Sorry, I, I probably shouldn't talk that long on each of these, but I, I'm still kind of working through my thoughts on this one, so uh, I guess I was working through them with you. Nope, I'm glad that I could be a kind of uh, a sponge in which to absorb your thoughts and our listeners as well. But hey, Lou, we're going to cover the festival. We may as well um, extol our thoughts as and when. Uh, I I have watched a documentary so far, John. Uh, just one so far. John has given me one I need to watch, but I haven't got round to yet. Um, but uh, for the next... Well, next week I intend to just absolutely smash through as many of these as possible. And um, unlike me, I, I'm watching a film and writing either during or straight away afterwards. So um, I'm trying so I don't get bogged down with the need to, you know, watch five films and then think, oh crap, I got to remember what happened in or what I thought about the one five films ago. So I'm kind of playing playing that game at the minute, and it's working quite well. Uh, but I've watched a documentary called Tiu. I think that's how you spell it. It's a uh, Icelandic documentaries about was about the Icelandic band of monsters and men which i really like and it's directed by dean de blois i had to google how to say dean de blois name the helmer of the how to train your dragon franchise and it's basically a uh the band looking back at the 10 years since their first album came out and you know really put them on the map worldwide and they go around their native iceland and go to locations which mean something connective which connects all of the band members together and they record like an unplugged version of one of an unreleased song so it's kind of so you get to find out more about the band this family they've become kind of their thoughts and feelings on recording the music at the time but it at the same time shining a light on these unreleased tracks in the most like, beautiful locations in rural iceland um it's not really an awful lot from the documentary which is mind-blowing but if you like the band you're going to love the documentary i think it's only about 40 minutes long or if you're new then you might see it as a kind of a different a unique kind of behind the scenes look at a track a you know world touring band which is kind of still rooted in the most rural of uh locations around the world but i have seen a documentary jp and um the first film i yeah. wanted to throw into the mix from from my side was it's the first film I saw, and it's called Employee of the Month, which was uh, directed by Veronique Jadin. It's a Belgian film um, about it's a kind of a satirical, scathing look at office culture. I would say contemporary, but I imagine it's kind of it, it's taking the the misogynistic, the sexist, uh, toxic uh, vibes that come from the office culture. And it's filtering them through a dark comedy lens with um, Jasmina Dueb and Leticia Manpaka leading the film. And it's, uh, I thought it was quite a decent film. I didn't love the film. I think it's a decent watch uh, overall. It's an, it was a good way to blast about an hour and a half away. To be fair, most of these films are actually coming in at a pretty cool 90 minutes, which is yep. fantastic. But so this film, I think it started off well. Uh, I think it started to sp- spiral slightly out of control and lose focus, and then it pulled it back towards the end. It wasn't the um, the funniest or the most bonkers film I've seen in years, but I think 
it it was fine you know it wasn't as thrilling it wasn't gory or scary it got a bit ludicrous but i think the performance is very decent and i liked the idea behind it as well and it, there was there was enough yeah. humor there to kind of overshadow to, to, to talk about to cut through the the heavier real thematic side of this without overshadowing it but i didn't mind employee of the month i know you've seen that one as well yeah also watched it uh similar a uh, decent watch um I, I like the. I think the performances are probably the best part about mm-hmm. it overall, um, especially from the the two leads. Uh, and there's a few funny moments that I thought like like, it, it feels like a spoiler, but it's in all of the marketing and like the images that they gave us is the boss dead. Like that's yep. just in like that's an image that they gave. Like here, use this. I'm like it seems no because that, but it is the inciting incident, right? It's what really kicks yeah. the plot going but his death i thought was like i i say hilarious that seems wrong but it was like <laughs> where it comes kind of out of nowhere because i didn't know exactly what we were getting into and i was like oh oh that's how dark we're going okay got it um uh but yeah like it, it's it's got some very funny moments i like a dark comedy uh but it also it does it does like spiral at one point where you're like oh, okay is it just gonna re- loop the same over and over and it finally does pull back though like it for a minute i just thought it was gonna spiral like non-stop and just the same thing keep happening and then they did finally w- pull it back a little bit and it gets a little s- silly again i think the overall message is really positive um but yeah it, it's it's just it's fine um again though i think the the true lead was really solid i thought like she felt like yes. a veteran actress and she's done some stuff, but she hasn't really led a movie before. So I, I thought she kind of proved that she can do it um, from the, the the get-go with her. When she walks into the office, you really like get a sense of who the character is just by her mannerisms and stuff. And I think she's really good. Yep, I, I agree, my friend. Um, throw another one into the mix for us. Uh, Cherry. Um, caught Cherry. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I thought uh, Cherry was a little bit too much anxiety for me mm-hmm. um there's this like the if you've ever i'm an introvert by nature so yes. like if i have to tell someone something important there's a level of anxiety i feel like i can't tell you the number of times in my life where i've had to make a phone call and the minutes leading up to the phone call was me trying to convince myself to make the <laughs> phone call <laughs> like, that. and that's what this movie felt like in its entirety, like just like that, that ap- apprehension and anxiety of, of anticipation waiting and waiting and waiting. I was just like, please just tell somebody the truth. Cause she never actually says the thing. Like even when she finally does tell the boyfriend that she's pregnant, she like waits and then does it in the worst possible way to, to do it. Like, has the opportunity to just tell him privately and then like does it and i won't say because i guess it's kind of a spoiler but um despite that i still mostly like this movie i thought alexandria trewitt was solid as cherry um i think there's some good moments and some good sequences some of it does not make sense to me like as far as like character elements like she doesn't seem to fully understand her grandma's situation, even though like it's implied that she's living at home still. And like, I'm like, have you never met your grandma before? Do you not, are you not familiar with what appears to be Alzheimer's? Like it's, you know, it seems like this is not a new thing, but 
uh, there's a lot of a lot of that in this movie where I feel like there's some character inconsistencies, but overall, I thought Cherry was pretty solid. You liked it a little more than me from what I've seen. Um, yeah, I did. I I agree with your point, though, in terms of you know having the character, main character who's called Cherry, you know, spill the beans eventually. But at the same time, I kind of viewed it as I think that's the point that mm. the character is so anxious because she has a big decision to make. She has 24 hours to make this decision due to uh, how she got the news and how far gone she is. And also the price of us healthcare, which was probably the scariest part of the uh, film for me. So bad. I know man. But um, so I, whilst at the same time I was sitting there also thinking now's the time, you know, do it as Palpatine would say, say it, say the thing. And we never quite got there until a certain point. I also understood for me that it was it was an anxiety thing for the for the character having to admit this or having to share because she's quite a free-spirited individual but having to share this most you know intimate scary huge life-changing moment i kind of felt like there was the time really never came apart from when she was with her boyfriend maybe and there are a few moments where i thought that feels a you know story moments have felt a bit convenient it's a very good scene involving a family dinner but there's something there's a revelation brought up by another family member which i think is a bit in the context of what we were dealing with i thought it just sort of kind of it it felt like an easy way to not have cherry spill the beans from then on but then the nan coming out and letting off the party poppers was very funny i thought yes Um, it was but yeah again this is only 76 minutes long it's not long at all i thought it looked good i thought it sounded great had a really cool indie vibe to it i thought yeah alex Truett was very good in in the lead role and i think it deals with the situation at hand like the theme the theme the message you know i think it deals with it really well it could have got lost in its indie vibes and it could have became something that it isn't but i think the director uh, sophie gallagher manages to f- keep the focus on the decision that Cherry has to make. And I found it emotional at times. And of course we're living in a world where, where people's choices are being taken away from them. You know, if we left, right and center. And I think this film, and I think it's a reaction to that necessarily, but it's come out at a time where a lot of people might see this and think, yeah, this could, this could be helpful in a, in a way. That was the, I think one of the things that hurt this movie for me is I've, I've kind of dove into some of the really great versions of that. Um, there's plan B, course, yep. there's uh, unpregnant, um, never rarely, sometimes, sometimes always. Yeah, oh man. And then uh, the ha- or it's just happening, which is a um, movie set in like 1960s France uh, and how severe the abortion situation was then. Um, so I've seen movies that really explore that dynamic, um, both the struggle of like, the person versus the system that's against them being able to make the decision, but also like movies where the, the decision is at the center. And I, I never fully felt like I understood what the tension was. Um, she, she seemed like she wanted the baby, but that was only for a few seconds where it seemed clear. I, I never fully got what the, the struggle she was going through is there are moments with like her, her relationship with her parents where you kind of see this uh, you set up stuff, but everything felt like it was just on the cusp and not really dealing with it. Like I never fully understood what the driving force of the conflict was like, even the internal conflict that is obviously there with her apprehension and that anxiety felt 
like it could have gone a little further and and really um, explored why she was so conflicted because I, I I don't fully know if I got why she was so conflicted. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they could have maybe stuck an extra five, seven minutes on the runtime to take it just over 80 minutes just yeah. to have some more of those family moments or, or, or introspective moments just to not even to f- stretch the runtime, but just to fill in some of the gaps and maybe make some of those emotional moments more weightier yeah. or like, like you say, to, to, to describe you know, what was go- the thought process and anything else behind it. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed Cherry a lot though. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I don't think it's bad. I just, I, it felt less than, um, what's, uh, what's another one you caught? Um, I'm going to mention rounding next. It's, I think it's the second film yep. I saw in the festival. This is directed by Alex Thompson, who, um, is following up from St. Francis, which I think holds at 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. So he's following up a critically acclaimed film. And rounding is a psychological thriller. It's about the failing mental and physical health of an up-and-coming doctor called James, played by Namir Smallwood, played very well, I think, by Namir Smallwood, who uh, has a tragedy involving one of his patients in his prestigious hospital and decides, I want to have a transfer to a underfunded hospital in a rural area to really make an impact and you know, to make my way back uh, make to, within himself. So um, I thought rounding is solid. I don't think it was spectacular. The film isn't going to trying to be spectacular. I mentioned that in my review. There's nothing here which is meant to be played for spectacle, but I think it's really solid. I think for the most part, the acting throughout is is really decent. I th- there are moments where we get these uh, inner kind of hallucinations of James, which involves monsters, which I think they could have just got rid of those altogether. Not for me. I don't think it actually added too much to the, mm. to the plot, but uh, it's, it's a very dimly lit film as well. It's the, the, the place looks nice, but it's a very dimly lit film. We can't, it's like we're, we're following James. It's almost like we're in his inner psyche as well throughout the film as he spirals physically and mentally into, um, into a very uh, a very dangerous descent. Uh, we've got Sidney Flanagan is in here, uh, who was in the some. Oh my, I can never remember the name. Sometimes, ne- rarely, never, always. I can never remember the title. But she was superb in that film, and she's in a smaller role here, and she's she's very good in a smaller role. But I think when you've got someone that good, give them more to do. You know, give them more to do in this film. Um, yeah, I think that there's a decent atmosphere in this film with a decent kind of sense of dread. Uh, but I felt the movie was too restrained. It it didn't push outside of its own boundaries and parameters. It felt like it didn't want to take the next step to being something actually quite profound. And instead, for me, it was decent. Some good moments in it. But I by by the end, when we got the revelation at the end, it didn't hit me. I don't I didn't know how earned that was. And I kind of wanted a little bit more from it, John. I also didn't feel like it was a revelation. Like I felt like it was pretty clear at the beginning of the movie what had happened. It, I think it was. I think they try. I think they tried to play it as a revelation because yeah. I was. It, it, he says something at the beginning, and I thought, did he? You know, did he call a? You know that. So, and then, but then they tried to throughout the movie. They don't reference it. It's just yeah. a patient, a patient. So um, I think they play it off as a revelation, but I'm with you. Yeah, there, no, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't a shot at you. I was just like, it felt like, I'm like, okay, then what? Like, it, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a, a, pretty much everything you said I agree with. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's bad. I thought some of it was like, I didn't fully get the monster metaphor exactly. Like, I mean, I did, but I also was like, 
okay? Like, it, it felt unclear, and then, uh, I, I don't know, there was, there's some stuff here, I just, it, it does feel like too restrained, maybe, or not, not going into it enough to make it meaningful in a way that is gonna, like, I'm gonna walk away and probably forget about rounding by the end of the, the year, kind of thing, and no, no yeah, offense yeah. to it, because it's not bad, it's just, like, it's also not there like it's missing something like it's a, it's it's feels like an idea that didn't fully get developed so yeah especially following up from what's apparently very acclaimed film in saint francis which i kind of want yeah. to go back and check out now based on this but um rounding was fine um what's another one you've seen jb cut nude tuesday um <laughs> wow which uh i I rarely go into a movie completely blind, but I totally did with this one. Um, and so uh, a few minutes into this, because the opening title cards, we see that it's a screen Australia film. I'm like, oh, okay, Australia. And then there's a New Zealand thing. I'm like, okay, so we got New Zealand and Australia film boards working together here. That's interesting. Um, so I'm expecting English because every other New Zealand film and every other Australian film I've ever seen is in English. Now, do they have accents and use dialects? I may not be super familiar with. Yes, but I understand them. And this movie starts and they're speaking another language. Even the text is in another language. And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I must not know uh, the other languages of Australia and or New Zealand. So I messaged you (laughs) like, what language is this? And you're like, exactly. And that's when I found (laughs) it was gibberish. Um, It, none of the words are, scripted apparently right like it's all just them i don't think so i think i mean they, i don't know if, i don't know if they had like a there was a memo to, you know you have to say names still but other than that go mad yeah because like some of it like obviously there is a story here so there has to be some like plotting done like maybe they they improv a scene and like okay well w- from this scene we have to go to this then and then from the like there's obviously a structure of some kind but you can tell it's super loose and like some of the dialogue because we get dialogue, but it's, it's written after the fact I'm, I'm understanding Yes, like the movie existed and then someone wrote subtitles for whatever they were able to interpret. So the subtitles are often quite funny. Sometimes they're very like, I don't think that's what they said there, but okay, cool. I guess (laughs) Um, uh, there is, uh, there is some nudity because on Tuesdays it's, it's naked Tuesday. It's uh, it's wrong. Um, so there is some nudity in this, uh, but it is not Hollywood nudity. Like you have all types of people naked, like all kinds, like every type of person you could imagine mm-hmm. naked at once. Um, so it's, uh, but it is very sexual in its theming. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was pretty funny. I laughed out loud several times. I am a big fan of Jermaine Clement. He always, his comedy actually feels like this movie to me. Like when I think about like, um, I think it's dinner for schmucks is the one where he's like a, an artist who's sleeping with Paul Rudd's wife or something. Or I think it is. Yep. Um, can't remember for sure, but I think that's what it is. Cause that movie is forgettable for sure. But like that's that performance felt like this character to me, like so much, like that's what I kept thinking of was him in that movie or that role, whatever movie that was. And, uh, he's, he's very, very funny here. Um, yeah, it's, awkward uncomfortable but there's a heart there's like a there is a kindness at the and the bulk of this movie which is surprising because it's it's pretty wild yeah i i gotta admit after five or ten minutes i thought i'm not entirely sure i'm going to be able to see make my way through this film and 
if the, some of the films I'd seen prior to this at the festival were international, they're subtitles. And I've said before, I love a subtitled film because it's just a film at the end of the day, no matter what it is. But the, the, the I, I just didn't know if I could get into the whole gibberish side of it because I thought, is this going to be, is the film itself was going to follow this kind of madcap angle and it's not really going to have anything behind it. What's the substance going to be? But by the end, I loved this film. I thought it was really, really, really good. I also laughed out loud many times just at the absurdity of the subtitles, because like you, I'm not entirely sure if, you know, that's what the performers had in mind when they were saying what they were saying. But um, Julia Davis, who's a British comedian who wrote the subtitles, well, that's how she's interpreted it. And uh, I saw a review after the fact say, I think this would have worn thin had it actually been in English. And I agree with that. I do. I think had what they were saying been you know, in Australian or whatever, wherever, then I think the jokes would have been run very thin very quickly. And at one point during this film, I did actually start to get a bit worried that this is, this is starting to get a bit thin. Now, what are we doing with this? And the whole, the whole premise is there's a couple who are, they're in a stale relationship just generally and sexually. So they are sent to a, um, a getaway, like a, a, a nature getaway led by this sex guru. And the whole point is you get your mojo back, your libido and you awaken the desires of in you. That's the, that's the premise of the film. And it follows mm-hmm. this failing relationship, failing marriage, and you know where we start to where we end up. I think you're, yeah, there is a there is a heart to this. There is an arc. There is development for the characters, and there are moments where um, Armahan Ballantyne, who directs it, she she stops the madness for a bit. Yes, they're still speaking gibberish, but the madness is stopped, and we get character moments between uh, two or maybe more characters together in situations you may not expect to be a tender moment, and that's what made the film work for me. It wasn't just you know, gonzo humour throughout. They actually allowed moments for the characters to stop as a scene in a hut involving a gun, which I think was so well done, um, which was a defining moment for one of the characters. And I liked how it ended as well, John. You know, I really liked how this film ended and how the char- where the characters ended up based on where they started and how right yeah. it felt as well. I think I, I liked that. There's, there's not much I didn't like about the film. Like I said, there are a few moments towards the middle or the two thirds way through. I thought, right, it's just starting to wear thin now. The constant innuendos, the constant uh, euphemisms. But no, the film worked for me. I thought it was great. I thought it was an original idea. I thought it was very creative. And I, I let myself, I, I let the chaos wash over me and just enjoyed it. I didn't think I was going to, but I did. And I'm so glad I did. So, um, New to Tuesday, John. Yeah, I kind of the same. I wasn't expecting to enjoy that one as much as I did, but hey, it, it was pretty funny. Let's talk about Blaze next then, I think, because this is a film which had one of the most interesting premises of the festival for me. It's directed by Del Catherine Barton. It's another Australian offering. and Her it's, directorial debut as it's well. It's her director of debut. Like a few of the directors here, this is their, at least their feature debut at least. But um, This film follows a 12-year-old girl. It's a kind of coming-of-age story it's framed as, but it explores grief, trauma, depression, rage, and a young girl entering womanhood based on an, uh, an experience she went through or she witnessed and how that impacted her and her and her father as well. It's Blaze, I mean, it, the opening, I tell text John, the opening of this film is, is harrowing. 
genuinely at the first 15 minutes or so of this film was, you know, I was, I was on the edge of my seat watching because I was shocked. And that's the point. The point of what you see is meant to shock you because this happens all the time, far too regularly and far too casually almost as well. Uh, but watching it so starkly was, you know, it hit home an awful lot. And I, and, and, and Del Catherine Barton is an artist so there's a lot of artistic flair behind this film, and the the intriguing part of it though is not it was it, the fact that it's a twelve year old girl who's gone through these things, which is of course the focus of the film. But it's the fact that in order to channel her um, processing of the grief, they've used a fantastical element, and in this case, it's a very sparkly, very practical dragon. Uh, which appears to to protect her and to comfort her during the film, plus a an army of porcelain or ceramic figurines as well. So in order for her to kind of escape away from the real world, she kind of summons upon these fantastical ideas. I mentioned it in my review, it's a bit like a monster calls, but I think it's more effective here. Yes. Um, and I liked this film a lot. I I I did think it it, low, it lulled a bit during the middle. I think it lost its way a little bit during it, kind of two halfway through. But it picks up at the end, and I know JB is of the same opinion. But like the way this film ends, it's, it's powerful. There's a incredibly spellbinding sequence involving Blaze and the dragon at the end, which was like stunning to watch, like euphoric to watch almost. Uh, and then the final shots are really, really powerful. But uh, I thought this film was really good, but it didn't hit all the beats. I thought it was going to, and I, and it lost its way in the middle for me, but it picked up. What did you think about blaze? I like blaze a lot. Um, I, I don't know if I fully understood all of its allegory or metaphor. Um, I think uh, the filmmaker is an Australian artist. And, um, I, I was curious as the, the movie opens with like these paintings and a baby looking at them. And even that sequence is stunningly shot because it's like an all black room except for the paintings and the baby is like spotlight on the floor, but the floor doesn't even seem to exist. Like it's the style of this movie is what stood out to me the most. And you can tell it's a visual artist making this because she employs so many interesting visualizations, uh, throughout the film. Some of them I think work to help with the story and others. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay, cool. You know, sliced cherries look interesting when you put a bunch of them together. Apparently I didn't know that, but they do. Um, I didn't fully understand their, their function. Sometimes I did. Um, Some of the metaphors were on the nose, but uh, one of the things that I thought really stood out to blaze aside from the, the filmmakers clear, like, you know, style is the lead actress. Um, whose name is Julia Savage, I believe. Julia Savage, yeah. yeah. Um, young kid. Uh, she's done some stuff. This is not her first role. Um, I think this might be her first leading role. Yes. Um, but the amount of stuff that is thrown on her in this movie, whether it's glitter or liquids, um, is Bruce Campbell level <laughs> crazy. Like yes. She was apparently just game for whatever the director wanted Boy. to throw at her. And this director threw like everything at her. Um, and I mean, there's some sequences where like, well, that's probably a stunt. No, I don't think so. Cause you're like, you're looking at her in the face and she's yeah. like crawling through stuff. Like, I mean, 
the kids, if she, if she's not traumatized from making this movie, she she's <laughs> she's gonna be a superstar um, because she can do it. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, my man. And I think she she's great. I think the film suffers badly if you know in in a lesser actress's hands because you know we especially for a, a kid actor to do exactly. to bring the weight of this you know exactly because i think her father who's played by um simon baker he's really good i think he's really yeah. really good as well uh, as this caring loving doting father who's only trying to do the best for his daughter but also has to try and understand the journey she's going on but yeah julia savage is fantastic and yeah, the film is visually beautiful Barton knows mm. how to tell a story through visuals. I think the screenwriting lacked a little bit of subtlety at times. Yeah. And it it, there, it wasn't as strong as it could be. And I, I did note with some of the visuals, at times I kind of felt like I was watching a, a 1990s music video, which wasn't a bad thing because it took me back to like the MTV and VH1 of the day with the stop motion yeah. and things. But yeah, I, I really, really thought this film was very decent. I just wish that the screenplay had a little bit more polish to it, but that's, yeah, you know, there's some things that definitely could be stronger, but, um, I think it's a pretty tremendous debut and, sure, yeah. um, again, a visual, like just, if you just look at like the cool camera placements and the compositions of the frames, they are like, you could probably pause and print many frames in this yeah. and, and hang it on your wall. And Very sometimes people will be like, what the heck are you doing with that on your wall? But Hey, you know, it's, oh. it's not, everything's not there but it's yeah it's very very visually stunning oh uh, yeah blaze so we both enjoyed that what's another one you caught big man um i watched uh four samosas uh last yesterday no i don't remember when i watched it maybe like yesterday morning yeah it was yesterday morning sorry it's been a long couple of days um four samosas uh is directed by uh, ravi kapoor not his first film um it has uh, a few people that people will recognize specifically um karan uh sony who, if you've seen the Deadpool movies, he um, he plays the the cab driver in the first movie and then becomes a friend. I'm drawing a blank on his name in those movies. But he was also in a movie we caught last year at Tribeca, Seven Days. Um, or at least I caught last year, and I really liked that one a whole lot. Um, he's not the lead here. In fact, he's technically the antagonist here. But um, uh, I was caught by this movie, by the synopsis. It, it simply said... Uh, determined to disrupt the wedding of his ex-girlfriend by bankrupting her family, underachieving wannabe rapper Vinny and his neighborhood pals concocted plan to steal her family's jewels from a supermarket safe. Hmm. The movie's more than that. It, it, it is a character piece, and the characters are really, really interesting and really, really sweet. Um, this is definitely a tribute to Indian culture, uh, also Indian cinema at times. It's not a direct uh, Bollywood reference but there is a direct bollywood reference in this which i am currently kind of on a uh i'm intrigued by bollywood so i'm trying to dive more into them so that i was excited to see that sequence it's set in actually little india in in california um which is not like i don't think it's the city name but that's like you know like chinatown that kind of thing it's that like a cultural hot spot um and uh but but the very much an American version of like you know uh, Vinny his desire to be a rapper is is very much an American idea. Um, I thought it was super funny. I really thought the characters were charming. Um, that there's there's so much like filmmaking taken here. I, I feel like a lot of the camera placement feels like uh, do the right thing kind of you know wide angle in their face lenses. Um, we're we're in a one one aspect ratio, so you know it's the square on your screen. Um, and just, 
there's uh, the the heist element of this movie because they're going to steal the diamonds feels very much like American Animals, but that's not the whole movie. That's a part of the film that I think actually flows really well. Um, at, at one point, I was like, well, "What are we going to do for the rest of the movie?" And then, oh, okay, we have a plan. This isn't just like we ended <laughs> early because uh, things concluded quicker than I was anticipating. But then there was more stuff to to go that felt organic and it felt natural. Um, I, I thought it was a really fun, loving movie, very uh, personal, very intimate. Um, definitely recommend people check it out for Samosas. Sweet. I'm looking to watch that in the next few days because um, I have checked. It's now available to watch, thankfully. So um, I watched a also watched a film called We Might As Well Be Dead, which is directed by, I think, Ukrainian director Natalia Sin- uh, Sinonikova. And I believe this is her feature debut as well. It's a satirical drama. It's about an exclusive apartment complex whose residents are, you know, they're very, they're very wealthy. They're very exclusive. Um, But they begin to succumb to fear and paranoia at the thoughts of, you know, the outside world, external trespasser being on their grounds, their, their idyllic lifestyle being um, disrupted by the, the lessers on the outside world. It's clearly a dystopian story and we never find out quite what is on the outside or why they should be feared. But that's also you know, part of the problem with the film as well. I found this film to be quite cold, quite clinical. The social commentary and the satire in it is very good, actually. It's very incisive. I think that's really well done. But it's deliberately slow-paced and they try to conjure up these ambiguities about the main character Anna's daughter you know does she have these kind of magical powers you know why why won't she come outside what is outside of the ground why won't people go outside I wasn't interested in in those ambiguities because it just felt the film felt a bit I don't know I felt very disconnected from it it's very clinical very cold very stark um I thought the lead performance from a Romanian actress called Joanna Jacob, she's great in this film. She's really good. She's in most of the scenes, to be honest. She's very strong. And there are some moments in it which are well done, some cool set pieces. But and then there's something about it. It, it, There was no. It's a drama with with that which for me had no drama in it. It didn't have a cutting edge to it. And then it just kind of it it breezed by for me. It went on for a bit too long, and it. It breezed by. I didn't hate it, but it was very much down the middle of the road for me. I think I gave it a five out of ten as my lowest rate ranked film of the festival so far. And I, I'm, I'm of, of the understanding that there are quite a few people who thought this was actually really good, which is great. Again, this is what I love about festivals, but this one didn't work for me. I felt very disconnected from it. Uh, film called We Might As Well Be Dead. Yeah, I, I've looked at that one, but I've not been motivated to watch it and that that didn't sell me on diving into it so i might hold off yeah it's not awful it's not terrible it's just you know you're not going to love everything i think so um what what else have been checking out jp i think i've got one more film i've got to mention so uh, over to you two um god's time i really want to emphasize this one because i really like this one um Mm -hmm. quite a bit i do think uh it might not work for some people because it's got a manic energy that really kind of clicked with my sensibilities and i was like really invested i couldn't like look away from it because of that um it's directed by daniel antebi um mostly all new people uh ben grow is our lead um i think he's done some stuff and uh hold on where's luca 
Well, it inter- introduces Christine Seidel, I believe, is the big introduction, and she is tremendous. That's this movie has like safety kind of energy and anxiety nice. to it. Um, so it kind of got a, like a scaled down good time. Um, but uh, two best friends and recovering addicts embark on a frantic chase through New York City to stop the woman they are both in love with feel strong from killing her ex-boyfriend. Um, even that synopsis is a little, not, not exact, but um, Ben Groh is our, our true lead because he is talking to the camera at times. Like he breaks the fourth wall to uh, kind of fill us in on some stuff and, and talk to us. Um, I, a, a thing that could break for some people, but for me really worked. And I like him. I thought he's got a really charming, charismatic personality. That's a redundant statement, but nevertheless, um, that works for that type of character that he's going to interact with you. He's going to bring you in. He has to have that energy that you want to listen to him. And he did for me, I was uh, sucked into it. Um, it moves. It's, it's, it's a dark comedy because there's definitely humor. It's not all downer. That's where it's not quite like a safety film. Cause a lot of the safety film stuff is so you're so anxious that you never have a good time. Like <laughs> I think Uncut Gems is a brilliant movie. I did not enjoy watching it cause I was so stressed out, like the entirety <laughs> of it. Um, and, uh, that that's not this. I didn't feel like that anxious. Um, I was concerned. I cared about the characters. I wanted things to go right. Um, but I wasn't like un- unhappy watching. I was actually really enjoying it. I thought the characters interactions were fun. Sometimes they're a little wild. Some crazy things happen, but it all, it all seemed to make sense for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Uh, God's time. And even the name of the movie makes a lot of sense um, within the characters. I know you recommended that one to me, so I'm going to catch that one for definite as well. Um, the last film I've seen, actually, no, I have seen, actually, no, I've seen two as well. What a lie. The last film I've seen, which I've written about, it was called The Courtroom. I watched another one just now, but a film called The Courtroom, which is a drama adapted from an off Broadway production that was in itself adapted verbatim from court transcripts what a great idea so uh it was a broadway play which which was verbatim court transcripts from a case about a filipina immigrant who mistakenly registers to vote on a k3 visa which is punishable by deportation and it's it's shot theatrically and i and i loved it for it you know it's set in courtrooms but the entirety of the background is pitch black so you only have the people you need to see in focus, maybe like three or four people in a scene. And they're long scenes. They're not one takes, but they're long scenes. And just, I didn't know the outcome of this case, which I think actually probably was a strength uh, in for the film, because if I'd known what happened, maybe I wouldn't have been as in. But I was really into this film because I think it's acted sensationally well. Christian Villanueva is our lead here. Uh, Linda Powell, who is a gender swapped lawyer here which was interesting the way that they uh portrayed that i think she is fantastic in this she's she's a lawyer and looking at her correct credits she's usually is a lawyer or in that profession whenever she acts i think it's really well acted of course because it's verbatim that the some of the dialogue is very heavy in terms of legal um jargon so you kind of have to make sure you're paying attention if you want to understand what's going on. And at times I didn't. I was like, is that a good thing? Or does that mean she's lost? But it, they, you know, the, the, the film very quickly gets you up to speed again with it. But there's not really any music. You know, you get a little sound bed every now and then. But I think, you know, this is a really... The, 
it's not a film that glamorizes the case and it's not a film that tries to say that you know the courts are the bad guys here or or elizabeth is was bad for what she did or that she was innocent necessarily i think they do lean one side more than the other but they, they're kind of pointing at the fact that the law is horribly flawed in this case and which almost becomes the villain of the piece but i think the performances are great john i really enjoyed this it blasted along again at about uh an hour and 20 minutes um there was a you know the, the final shots i think actually went against the rest of the film in terms of what it was trying to say or, or the message of the great American dream. Uh, I think that was slapped around the face too much in the final moments. But other than that, the courtroom was a film, which I was quite interested in watching because of its pretty cool um, premise of being verbatim. And I wasn't disappointed, man. Well, I, I might check that one out the courtroom. I, I did eyeball it a couple of times. I didn't read the synopsis though, but that, it sounds interesting. Yeah, no. And uh, what was the last one that you saw? Last one for me is currently my favorite one of the festival. Um, it is uh, similar to a 2018 documentary that I adore, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, about Mr. Rogers. This one about a PBS counterpart, Butterfly in the Sky is the name of the movie. It is about, it's more about reading Rainbow than it is about LeVar Burton, but it's obviously going to have a lot to do with LeVar Burton as well. Um, I found some of the uh, parallels between Reedy Rainbow and Mr. Rogers neighborhood to be kind of shocking. And also Mr. Rogers and LeVar Burton. Um, I, I grew up watching both of those shows as a kid. I actually didn't realize reading rainbow lasted until 19, uh, I'm sorry, till 2006. Um, but it started in 1981, uh, which I had no idea it had such a long consistent run. Um, uh, also, the show's pretty wild. Some of the stuff that they've they've gone on, like location to film and stuff, is crazy. And this movie does a really good job of showcasing that. Uh, kind of talking about how it, be, like, how does a TV show about reading happen, right? Like those two things are often at odds with each other. People often make jokes, us included, that we watch movies, we don't read books. You know, um, that uh, the show existed to encourage reading, which is kind of an oxymoron in a way, and. The documentary really focuses on that. I thought it's structured very, very well. It's directed by Brett Whitcomb and Bradford Thomason, who did um, a movie a couple of years ago that I have not seen, but now must watch called Jasper Mall. It's a documentary about a mall that is like going out of business or is dying or whatever the correct phrasing is. Um, and I, I heard it's really, really good. And I thought this was really, really good. Um, not quite as inspiring as Won't You Be My Neighbor, but definitely in the same vein, especially for someone like myself, who is an educator who uh, maybe thinks that education is wrong-minded with a lot of the approach that we do. And things like this in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, I think, have a better uh, understanding of a love of learning as opposed to creating test takers. What a way to end off John Burke's uh, roundup there. This is one that JB said, I have to watch. He said, you've got to watch it. Drop everything, and unless you're holding a cup of tea, and watch it. So I'm definitely going to catch up on this one. Um, again, before the end of the festival, I'm, I'm going to start um, watching the earlier release films, because, again, I don't know if they're going to be taken off the platform before the end of the festival, which is in about five, six days' time. So I'm kind of trying to play catch-up, but I'm definitely going to watch that one. And the, the final film I only watched about three hours ago, it's called You Can Live Forever, directed by Mark Slutsky and Sarah Watts. It's it's about Jamie, who's a gay teenager. She's sent to live in a community of Jehovah's Witnesses in small town Quebec, and she falls 
in love with a devout Jehovah's Witness girl and they have an intense affair with consequences that will reshape the rest of their lives. Um, that's the synopsis, not off the top of my head, because I have just watched it. Um, this is one of the ones I was quite interested in watching. I mentioned it last week, and I pulled it out as one of the three or four that I wanted to watch because of that premise. And I like this film a lot. I think it's really, really good. I think it's really emotional. It's really... Again, I don't know if it's trying to portray victims or villains in this film, and I don't know if it's trying to make the Jehovah's Witness community out to be the villains or if they're just trying to make us understand their point of view. But it's a very interesting watch, especially for those who aren't aware of the ins and outs of the Jehovah's Witness community. The way the film portrays them is very interesting, and I want to sit on this one for a couple of hours before I try to write my review because I'm not sure if they are trying to kind of portray them as bad or their beliefs as bad or if they're out of touch or if it's just if, if their beliefs just go against Jamie's beliefs as a in uh, what she wants but still I think this film is very decent I liked the two lead performances from get the names and when O'Driscoll and June Laporte I think they're really good together and yeah, basically the crux of the story is, you know, Jamie wants wants the girl, but she doesn't want necessarily. I don't think she necessarily wants what comes with it, and how the story goes and their relationship is leading up to a very kind of cruelly powerful, say powerful ending, um, uh, affecting ending. I think this film was really good. It just didn't disappoint me. Uh, I'd probably give it a very decent. 8 out of 10 I think I, re- I I enjoyed this film a lot again very short an hour and a half a lot of these films John we're, we're in mm. flavour town here because they're about an hour and a half so there's a chance that we can watch 3, 4, 5 in a day and not feel too burnt out so uh, You Can Live Forever was good and just on that Tribeca last thing for me is are you getting the burn are you feeling burnt out because I know like myself you watched 4 films the other day and you've been watching quite a few regularly are you, how are you finding that um, I, I was not burnt out Sunday. I thought Sunday selections were really good. I wanted to watch more yesterday. Um, and I was feeling physically burnt out. Like, I don't think it was a movie thing. I think I just was like, I had a headache. I couldn't shake all day. Um, and so it, it slowed me down where I, and also them not telling me when things were going to be available. Um, yeah. the movies that were on, I just wasn't in the mood for, cause again, I was fighting a headache and I was like, you know what? I guess I'm just going to watch a couple today. And I caught Sophia last night. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to watch at least three today, tomorrow. I might be a little busy, but I'm, I'm hoping to watch somewhere between like, I don't know, five to 10 more movies before the end of the festival, at least, uh, if it's more cool. Um, but I, I don't want to burn myself out. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking it slow, especially since they're not giving us information. I'm just like, you know what? If you don't want to communicate with me, I'm just going to watch what I can watch and I'll write reviews for what I watch. And, um, uh, I'm going to be selective and try to pick things that interest me. You can live forever. Sounds like something I really want to watch now. So I've added that to my, my watch list. I might watch that as soon as we get off of this. Who knows? What a man. No, I I agree. My friend, I was busy yesterday with the little one and, but at no point did I think, you know, I'm wasting time on what I I could be watching these Tribeca films for the reason you said, because I don't know what's coming out. I can't schedule or plan accordingly. So I'm just kind of rolling with it. I got home last night. I watched the courtroom, woke up this morning. I watched, um, you can live forever. And then tonight, you know, I'll take a, I'll take a few minutes and I'm going to watch hopefully two more films today. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to take that as a pretty good return. And then obviously juggling this with work for the rest of the week and a busy weekend. I'm going to 
like you say, tried to watch five, ten more. If I can watch more, great. And but at the same time, you know, it would have been nice to be able to plan ahead, JB. But so so far, actually, it sounds like our Tribeca coverage and our Tribeca experience has been pretty solid in terms of what we've been watching. That's a good sign. Next week, we'll also be covering the our Tribeca watches. Uh, and by then, I believe the festival would have come to an end as well. So we'll be able to give our thoughts overall on how the festival went. But we're finding it. We're finding that kind of bloody awesome to be able to check out all these films. But in order to bring this content to you guys, we have to remain bloody awesome during the week through a smorgasbord and variety of activities. So, JB, how have you been staying bloody awesome this week? Um, I'm going to cheat. Uh, I think you might be cheating as well. Um, Tribeca. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same here. Um. You know, I've been uh, doing what I love. I love watching movies. I love talking about movies. I also, I love seeing movies that um, I get to maybe become the mouthpiece for. Um, you know, Everything Everywhere All at Once, w- w- I was one of the early, like, everybody should see this movie now, everyone's yeah. saying it. But um, every year at Tribeca, uh, I get to see a few movies that other people will not see for probably a year. Um, like, there was a really great documentary last year I saw called Accepted. Um, and that mm-hmm. is debuting in like a week uh finally for like everyone will be able to go and watch it and it's a, a documentary i think is going to get a lot of buzz when people see it but um i i like getting to see these small independent films and it's a nice break because as much as i love top gun maverick i equally hated jurassic world dominion i think mm. by comparison and so getting to see these very small personal intimate stories like for samosas like god's time um, it sounds like uh, you can't live forever is in that same vein. Um, these are are small, you know, very close. A lot of these cast lists are like ten people at most. You know, where like you look at Jurassic World, it's like a thousand people. They cram people in for no reason. Um, I, I like that that juxtaposition. So like when we when we cover on this show almost every week, big big movies for the most part getting to step back and look at these smaller indie films that some of these filmmakers will become those next big stars possibly, or they'll be the next a 24, you know, Ari Aster, the, the, it's the only name that's coming to me right now, but all these other, you know, a 24 indie films that we love, like Jeremy Saulnier, who for me is a big time director, but for most people never heard of him before, you know? Um, I, I like that. And that's what, to me, it, it reminds me why I, I spend so much time with movies. It's not just for the big blockbusters that everybody sees. It's also for these little gems that I can now fight for and tell people about, um, and encourage them to, uh, maybe break out of their comfort zone. Or what a lot of these movies are too, is it's, these are people's favorite movies that they don't know exist yet. You know, one of these films might speak to someone on such a personal level, that it can change their perspective on the power of cinema. And I like getting the opportunity to be the person to present that to them to like, Hey, I know you're really into this topic. I saw this movie that reminded me of you. You should totally check this out. Not sure I can top that, but I'm pretty much exactly the same as you because we always, uh, we're not pretentious to say, but we, we do like seeing original films in cinema. We love a blockbuster. As much yep. as the next person, that's kind of where our film fandom probably grew from, either blockbusters yeah. or watching horror films when we were far too young to watch them, but or maybe both. But it's so good to be able to sit down with these original films, like something like You Can Live Forever, like Blaze, uh, or, or these ideas that, if they're not original, at least they've been creatively interpreted in an original way or a fun way, uh, even if the stories are harrowing. 
it's fantastic to to sit down and enjoy these and like you say hopefully introduce these films to a wider audience and yes not all of them are going to work and that's just fine and i'm sure the filmmakers and organizers are quite aware that not everyone's going to like every single film that's out there that's the beauty of film but it's been a lot of fun being able to just sit back in, and enjoy this this you know delicious feast of films we're getting hopefully it continues to be decent and also get the writing mojo back because i'm being disciplined i watch a film yeah. i write about it watch a film i don't want to leave it um hanging even though i know that we're going to come on and talk about it i don't want to rely on that and be like nah, we'll, t- we'll talk about it on the show no i want to firstly you know do what i was accredited to do and that's talk about and write about the film but also it's cause quite fun again you know not not having not without the pressure of writing about a top gun a jurassic world or something like that you know almost championing or getting back to why these films are good rather than you know the f-16 fights are great or the dinosaurs it's quite nice to be able to talk about a smaller more intimate story on that level and a more on more technical terms as well so tribeca has currently how i'll be staying bloody awesome it may be how i stay bloody awesome next week that all depends on the festival itself john burke but um that being said that's going to be our show this week and we are going to be back next week with some more tribeca roundups but our main film up for discussion next week is going to be light year so we're going to be checking out a bit of buzz light year will it take us to infinity beyond We'll find out next week. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can do on Twitter at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. John quite rightly said we almost say we say podcast twice there, BAMP and podcast. We haven't got around to changing it. BAMP underscore podcast on Twitter. John, where are we on Instagram? We're at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod on Instagram. I like that one. Facebook, even if you're on that, it makes sense. Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. If you want to find me online and... um both of our continuing Tribeca coverage in terms of written reviews, you can find mine at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and across all the social medias and letterbox. And John, where are you? At burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms. And again, check check out our Tribeca coverage over there as well. If you like what you've heard here, please do consider leaving us a five-star rating or review on your podcast provider of choice because it gets more people listening. It boosts us in those algorithms. Plus, we're all film fans, and it's another way that we get to hear from more film fans each and every week. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Blood, 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 blood. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blah, 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 blah.